0: So I'm here in San Francisco for a Wesleyan This Is Why campaign event. We are with Jonathan Bloom and Michael Pollan. We're going to be talking about food and sustainability. We're here to raise awareness, excitement and eventually money for scholarships for Wesleyan for our students for today and in the future. This is why. My name is Jonathan Bloom. I graduated in 1999 and I was a history major. I am a writer who focuses on food and more specifically I write about the food that isn't eaten and so essentially I am the food waste guy and uh, I've been accused of talking trash. I came to Wesleyan in 1995 a tiny bit sheltered and I really valued my Wesleyan experience because it exposed me to a whole variety of ideas and people and cultures and so tonight I'm here to help bring new ideas to folks in San Francisco who might not be thinking about food sustainability issues and to help raise awareness on our food waste problem.
1: Uh, my name is Michael Pollan, I'm a writer, lived live in Berkeley, California, I teach at Berkeley. Uh, and my connection to Wesleyan is through my son, uh, he is in the class of uh, 2015. I am a journalist, and, uh, and I have been focusing the last few years on the food system. Uh, writing about agriculture, nutrition, um, food, and uh, I've written a series of books, beginning with Omnivore's Dilemma, and then In Defense of Food, Food Rules, and most recently, Cooked.
0: Whenever I'm interviewing someone in such an intimate, private setting, like this stage, yeah. Uh, I I like to break the ice, if you will, with uh, a little word association game. Okay. So, okay. You're centered. All right. Slow food. Fast food. Slow food nation. Uh, Missed opportunity. Happy meals. Ha. (laughs) Good.
1: Expiration dates. Mm, I just got an education about expiration dates uh, from someone at NRDC and learned something I didn't know, which is that they're completely arbitrary, there's no standards for them, and that most people throw out food uh, when it passes the expiration date, uh, even though the food may be perfectly good, um, which is so telling. I mean, it just, it just tells us we, we trust letters and numbers more than our own
0: senses. Okay, last one, and you have to just give one word or something to that effect on this okay. one. Wesleyan, uh, <laughs> uh, avid, avid.
1: Um, the um, uh, the thing that struck me most about Wesleyan, my son's a junior there, he's been very very happy from the moment he set foot on campus. Um, is is the people he's met, his friends, um, and I'm really struck by their uh, this 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 quality of avidness for whatever weird thing they're doing, and that, you know, that they're, they're passionate about this or that. And, and he has friends who are interested in music, and friends interested in politics, and friends interested in agriculture. And, and, but whatever it is, they approach it with a quality of avidity that is incredible. They're just not passive kids. Um, so that's, that's what struck me most. Uh, more than, you know, I mean, there's a wonderful faculty. And he has great classes.
0: But the kids he brings mm-hmm.
1: home are avid.
0: Well I'm sorry that was not the right answer. Oh. <laughs> the right answer was because.
1: Because. <laughs> Does that go with this is why? <laughs> I'm so confused. I would have by accepted this either this or, or is yes, or, or why. why.
0: Or yeah. Moving along, uh, almost unfathomably in this country we have this coexistence of waste, hunger, and obesity. Yeah. And the numbers are pretty staggering. We waste about forty percent of our food you got about 36 million Americans, or 36% of America who who are obese, and then 15% of American homes are food insecure. Mm -hmm. So when you look at those three factors together, what's going on with our food system?
1: Well, I mean, and what you're describing is true internationally. True, of course. We have a billion people who are hungry, and we have a billion people who are fat. Um, And the same... Food system produced uh, produces both phenomena. Um, in America, we we have uh, actually we have overproduction of food. Um, we have created a food system that that has many crises of of overproduction, and overproduction leads to uh, a couple of things. One is waste, and farmers who end up leaving whole crops in the field, and uh, and a. And a kind of surfeit of food that leads people to waste it themselves. Um, but overproduction also leads to the creation of lots of value-added processed food. So you, don't, you can't make money selling the cheap commodities that come off our farms in huge amounts, the corn and the soy and the rice and the wheat. Mm-hmm. Um, you make money when, when the raw materials are so cheap, because they're heavily subsidized by adding value to it, complicating foods. I mean, if you ask people in the food system, uh, you know, you don't make any money growing food. You make money processing food. So you end up um, in the process of adding value to the food, making it much less nutritious and much more fattening. um, Because the way you process food is add a lot of salt, fat, and sugar to cheap raw ingredients. And so we end up with um, a fast food culture. That um, is really driven by the fact that we're growing too much of too few things. These, these monocultures. Um, the food insecurity piece comes is just a function of uh, you know inequality in, in our country. I mean, we just um, we're not paying people enough money to afford food, and and the part of the problem with obesity is that um, when food is We've created a system where the, the, the cheapest calories are also the least healthy ones. When you subsidize commodity crops, like corn and soy, um, you're subsidizing soda. You're subsidizing you know, cooking oil for fried foods, with the result that if you, if you have a limited amount of money, it's a, let's say you have a dollar to spend, and you go into a supermarket, you will find yourself gravitating to the middle aisles and the most processed possible food, because you can get 800 calories of chips and only 250 calories of broccoli. Um, which we don't subsidize. Um, not that it would be easy to subsidize, but we don't subsidize it. So you create a system where it's rational to eat badly. Uh, so it's, this is, you know, it's a, it's a systemic problem.
0: Yeah, it sure is. And I think what a lot of people don't understand is just how much of, of that is, is caused by policy. And there are some key decisions that, that have led to that. But nowhere is it more frustrating and sad than when you have people who have been involved in creating our food either cooking it or harvesting it and then they can't in fact they can't eat. afford it. So I'm sure you you've encountered this once or twice but how much effect can we have on the food system just by stepping back into that kitchen?
1: Well, I I happen to believe consumers can have a very large effect on the on the food system. Um, it, it it the Voting with your fork, it can't solve all problems. And that we really do have to address policy. And I, I, I'm not a believer that we live in a consumer democracy and that you know, voting with our dollars solves all problems. Okay. But in the food marketplace, we've seen incredible things achieved by, by people spending money in a different way. I mean, you know, We're building an alternative food economy in this country without any support from the government. Um, and it, it's, it's growing you know, faster than any other part of the food economy. I'm talking about organic agriculture, local agriculture, CSAs, um, you know, sustainable meat production. All these kind of things um, have essentially been created by consumers connecting with farmers, and farmers convincing the consumer that they had something different and worth spending a little bit more money on, or sometimes a lot more money on. Um, so I think the consumer, and, and the consumer who cooks, is the one who's going to support the farmers. I mean, one of the reasons to cook is you, you, you buy ingredients. You don't buy packages. And the average food dollar in this country um, that you spend, uh, 90% of it goes to someone other than a farmer. So as we process, I said earlier, remember, processing food is where the money is. And everyone in that food chain makes more than the farmer, including the person who makes the packages the food comes in, gets more of the food dollar than the farmer. It is only if you're willing to cook that you can go to the farmer's market. All that stuff needs to be cooked, except for the fruit. And um, so that if we are going to make farming a viable occupation in America, we're going to need people willing to buy directly from farmers or almost directly from farmers, uh, and therefore willing to process the food themselves. Which is to say cooking it. So this one of the reasons I wanted to write about, about cooking in this last book is, is I was a little I, I was becoming concerned that this the growth of this local food economy was going to stall out at a certain mm. point, that everyone who cooks will go to farmers' markets or buy organic or whatever, and but if everyone else is outsourcing, it's going to top out at like 10 um, percent, and it needs to get bigger than that. so Cooking is a, is a political act, and it's, it's an agricultural act, uh, to paraphrase Wendell Berry. And um, it, it's also the only way we can regain control of our diet, because um, you don't know what's in the other stuff. And, um, and people are often surprised to find out what is in the other stuff. So cooking is very important, but there's a lot of impediments to cooking, too, in our society. I mean, a lot of people, there are probably people
0: in this audience saying, well, that's all nice and good. Yeah. yeah, And when we see the cooking shows on television and the glossy magazines with these beautiful meals, like you're saying, I mean, it furthers that intimidation. But yeah, I think yeah. it's a
1: big part. I mean, I, I, I call it the cooking paradox in this book, that you know, we, we spend on average now only 27 minutes a day cooking in this country. It's, it was twice that in 1965. And, um, but we watch more cooking on TV than ever before. <laughs> I mean, how long is the average Food Network show? It's like 30 minutes or 60 minutes.
0: I'm fascinated by this idea of a sustainable food movement. And perhaps that might not be the best word. So I'm wondering in your view, is there a movement afoot? And can such a thing happen organically without a leader? And then additionally, are you busy these days? (laughs) Would you like to take on another role? No, um,
1: I don't. I don't think I have a, 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 a flair for politics or patience for politics or leadership. Um, but I think there is a food movement, um, and I think it's a very messy movement. And and you point to a very important fact: it doesn't have the leadership uh, it should have, and it's it's made huge mistakes along the way. But nevertheless, it's growing. It's growing really quickly, and. The problem with the food movement, and this is a problem of all movements in the present. I mean, I was, I was talking to Troy Duster, who's a sociologist on our campus and was very involved in the civil rights movement. And you know, we think of that as a very coherent movement that had clear goals and, and achieved those goals and great leadership. But of course, in the present, it was a mess. And there were huge yeah. fights about goals. And, and, and it, was, it was not a, um, a happy tent. And, and uh, uh, it was always in danger of splintering and falling apart. And, um, and the food movement is got has so many different elements. And many of them do work at cross purposes. I mean, there are people concerned about food waste in the movement. There are people um, d- devoted to sustainable agriculture and farming and different kinds of d- different definitions of sustainable agriculture. There are people concerned about animal rights and welfare. There are people concerned about hunger and access to food, food justice. Um, and. They, they often disagree, and people concerned about nutrition and, and marketing to kids and, and um, you know, uh, labeling and regulations and GMOs, and um, so it's a big, lumpy tent. Um, but it's getting bigger, and it's demonstrating its clout. And we may see that this fall. Uh, there's a vote in Washington state to label genetically modified food. Um, It almost won in California last year by 1.5%, and it looks like it may win in Washington. That will send shutters through the food industry um, that consumers stood up and demanded a kind of transparency that the food industry was fighting very hard against. Mm. So that'll be interesting to watch. Um, I don't think in the end that's the most important issue by any means, Um, it just happens to be the one that's salient right now. I mean if we even if we eliminated genetically modified food it would no it would be no food utopia we'd just essentially take the system back to 1995 before they were introduced when there were still plenty of problems and lots of uh, you know I mean chemicals in agriculture and monocultures and all these kind of problems but this fight for transparency I think is is is, is the beginning of consumers asserting uh, their you know that they want to be part of these decisions. Um, so we'll yeah. see. Um, yeah. You know, we. Uh, I think there is a movement, and it does. There is a. There is a. It needs leadership, but those leaders are coming up. They're like in their twenties now. Yeah. There are people yeah. who are. I mean, I meet these people all the time who are who are working in the trenches of the food movement, and you know, great leadership will emerge. Yeah. I, I don't doubt that. Yeah. What I've seen at Wesleyan has been really, really interesting. Um, You know, Isaac took me on a tour of the the student farm uh, on my last visit. I was there last month, a couple weeks ago, uh, which is really impressive. they got several hoop houses and and beautiful crops and and a lot of students working on it. And and Bon Appetit, the food service people, is actually paying students to work on the farm and taking the produce off of the farm. I don't know if they're sending back the compost, um, but in a lot of places they are. I bet they are. So it's a, it's a very exciting thing to watch. I mean it's 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 thrilling to see kids engage with this and that's that's what gives me hope that yeah. you know when we're looking back in 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 20 or 30 years that the the food system will will be reformed and and the reason is this generation coming along right now. And it'll seem all the more coherent in hindsight. Exactly and, right. Okay. Exactly right. Um you know it will seem like Everybody knew what they were doing. Yep. Perfect. (laughs) I can't wait for the Museum of
0: Sustainable Food. Yeah. I can wait.